Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. And welcome back to the podcast. Today I have the outstanding Miriam Paramore. She's the president of Optimize Rx. Miriam is a seasoned executive with 30 plus years of experience in healthcare and deep expertise in health information technology. As president of Optimize RX, she's an officer of the company and responsible for all day-to-day operations. She's a senior advisor at NuCura, a Nashville-based healthcare angel investment company, as well as advisor to several venture and private equity firms. She's a member of the inaugural class of the Nashville Healthcare Fellows Program and a member of Deloitte's Life Science and Healthcare Women to Watch. So it's truly a pleasure to have Miriam on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you, Saul. I'm so excited to be here and congratulations on your success with the podcast. It's a real privilege. Thank you. Well, Miriam, the success of the podcast really is attributed to awesome guests like yourself and the listeners. So appreciate the kudos and I'll I'll share that with you. (laughs) So Miriam, did I miss anything in your intro that uh, you want to share with the listeners? Well, there's really um, my personal mission statement that I'd like to share is I am still passionate after over three decades about the transformative power of information. And I started my career sort of helping us use computers in healthcare and get things off of paper, turn into data, and from data into information. And now it's really about uh, information interoperability and information at the right time to empower good decisions. So I just wanted to share that, you know, improving the system through the power of information is really my, my personal mission statement. And then the other thing I would add is my passion around uh, women in leadership and women in healthcare and leadership in particular. I do a fair amount of work with a number of groups. We, we might talk about a little bit more, but um, you know, women in healthcare and women in healthcare IT or data-driven careers, I just have an enormous passion for helping to kind of bring us all forward as we continue to grow in our leadership skills. So those are the two things I would add to that, uh, that bio. Thanks. Love that, Miriam. And for all you lady leaders listening, you there know, there's, that's hard to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a phenomenal opportunity for you to connect with Miriam as this is one of her passions. So by all means, let's definitely open up that loop and uh, we'll, we'll revisit it here during the podcast. Okay, now, great. it's been 30 plus years, Miriam. Why did you decide to get into the healthcare sector to begin with? You know, Saul, I wish I had an inspirational or profound start, but I don't. The honest answer is when I got out of college, I had a degree in math and computer science, and I just needed to get a job. And it <laughs> turned out that there was an available job in the what used to be considered, you know, data processing or information processing at for Health for Hospital Corporation of America, HCA, which is headquartered here in Nashville, where I live. Yes, And so I was uh, fortunate to get onto that team and get a good start on my career, hands-on, very techie writing code for that hospital system. And once I got involved in healthcare, I began to, as I kind of grew up in my career, I got into consulting and I still love technology and I'm a techie still, mm-hmm. but I really love solving business problems with information and, and helping to improve our system. We're so siloed, as you have pointed out in prior podcasts and in your own tweets and things. 
we're so siloed, we don't share information well, we, we have a bunch of data, but uh, we still hoard it. And, uh, you know, as I learn more about the healthcare system, and then we all grow up and become consumers of healthcare, I saw that I had some skill that I could help uh, in a small way through this information liquidity, data liquidity sort of an approach. So it just it became very personal for me as I saw many, many people struggle with paying for healthcare, accessing healthcare, policy around healthcare, all of those things. It's just a, a huge driver because we all, as I've said many times, we're all just sort of one healthcare event away from bankruptcy in the way that our system is set up. And you know, that adds a lot of jeopardy to people's lives. So anything that I can do to help make our system better, I, I want to do. Love your passion for it. So math and computer science uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> took you to, to this, uh, this uh, HCA, and now you're, you've had some great experiences. And, and so with all of those experiences in mind, what would you sum up as the hot topic that needs to be on all medical leaders' agendas today? And how are you guys approaching it at OptimizeRx? Yeah, that's a great question. So there are a lot of hot topics in our industry that don't ever seem to really go away. And it's complicated. It's a complicated industry. The thing that I've come to focus on most is really affordability and the problem of medication affordability and medication adherence. I just spent a weekend with my dad, who's 82, and his sister, who's 77. And both of them take either 11 medications or nine medications. And the average for people that are geriatric in that geriatric demographic is, is nine medications. That's a lot. And I That's take a lot of medications. Yeah. yeah, I take two or three and I have a hard time. You know, sometimes I forget mine or whatever. And, I, and I'm super healthy, right? Yep. So when you add that complexity, you understand, you know, what medication adherence is as, as a problem because it's just complicated. In addition to it being complicated, it becomes an enormous access problem because of affordability. And we all know the correlation that the industry research shows us with you know, high-cost drugs and drugs are getting more expensive. People are, have a higher out-of-pocket burden. Uh, people have higher deductibles. And as I kind of sum that up, for me, Saul, it's you, know, you can't adhere to a medication you can't afford to buy in the first place. Totally. So um, access with respect to affordability and then the quick follow-on to that with adherence by supporting patients to help them understand and kind of take those medications in a way that eases that complexity. Both of those things are hand in glove to me as, as the hot topic. So to kind of answer your question about what we're doing there, our focus and our mission is to help with that affordability of medication and that adherence to medication challenge. Mm -hmm. And we do that in two ways. The first thing we do is we mobilize or automate the distribution of uh, copay and other manufacturer-sponsored savings coupons for patients. So did you know, Saul, that it's over $5 billion with a B of those coupons are available every year? Did you know that? I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's Two big years. Money. I didn't know that. And I've been in this industry forever. Wow. When did you find out? <laughs> when I took this job. <laughs> um, it's really actually the driver of me taking this job because I thought, Lord have mercy, if I can have been, I'm older than dirt, and if I can have been in this industry for 34 years and I did not know this, 
imagine I'm an inside baseball person, right? Yeah. I'm a data person. Yeah, so yeah, if yeah. I didn't know this, and what makes it even worse for our patients is that 90% of those savings dollars go unused. Mm. Wow. So imagine that you had not, you know, $5 billion worth of coupons for diapers or gas or Diet Coke or whatever. There's zero way that consumers in our nation would just leave that money laying on the ground. Oh, without right? a doubt. Yeah. And especially when you're talking about stuff that now that's just, those are consumer goods, but here we're talking about life changing, life savings, quality of life, you know, medication people need, and it's difficult for them to afford. And so what, what we've done is something that's very simple, but it's also very complicated. And we've automated the distribution of these coupons electronically in real time. So when you're at the doc, yeah, you're at the doctor and he or she is using their EHR, you know, the software that, yes. you know, we all love to hate, right? So when the doctor is prescribing for you or me the uh, medication, then our software kind of behind the scenes is running and it pops up and says, hey, there's a coupon available for this medication. So for and, me, and, like I, I and, suffer from insomnia and it'll uh -huh. just pop up when my doctor prescribes it for me. So the coupon alert is seen by the physician? The prescribing position? Oh, okay, cool. Yes, and so the way this solution works is that, that there's a visual cue. So one of our partners has it pop up and it's literally a green dollar sign. And then the doctor can recognize, oh, guess what, Miriam? There's a coupon for this insomnia drug. Would you like me to print it out for you, um, email it to you, or uh, text it to you? Right. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's cool. So it mobilizes all those savings. And the doctors definitely don't know what drugs cost. We know that patients want to talk to their doctors more about things that are not specifically health, but things like, you know, social determinants and financial and things like that, but everybody's uncomfortable. Yes. So we know that this is a helpful component in the dialogue. So that's one of the things that we do. And then there are some other things that we do that are around patient support services that are for patients to use mobile SMS text-based programs to help explain and encourage and prompt them to take their medications, encourage them to finish their therapy in a way that's sort of similar to the way my Fitbit talks to me about, hey, it's time to get up and move, that sort of thing. So we have those two primary buckets of solutions are what we do. Um, Love it. Love yeah. it. Yeah. And, it, and it gets to the, to the core of access through affordability and then just the adherence portion of it. Yeah, exactly. So we feel like that teachable moment, if you will, that when that person is with their doctor, they're talking mm -hmm. about healthcare, it's top of mind, they're going to come out of there with a script, and, you know, anytime in, you know, sort of an office setting at least, and certainly upon discharge uh, most of the time. So go get it filled. Here's something to help you. We've removed the cost burden uh, many times. The copay offset brings the out-of-pocket cost down to zero, right? And yeah. I mean, that's a real difference maker if you're talking mm -hmm. about a high deductible plan that $3,000 high deductible, nobody, you know, even hits their high deductible. So it's at that moment when, like I said before, mobilizing that information and just making it available, you kind of say, well, duh, we're not already doing that, but we really were not. That's amazing. I didn't know about this 5 billion number. And uh, it's interesting that you've been able to aggregate these and, and you know, put an engine behind it and, and just help with the flagging of, of a medication to a particular coupon. This would require 
a particular patient's physician to be enrolled? What if they're not? Is there an option for them to partake? Yeah, so let me clarify that. It's a really good question. So our engine, which is a really good way to think about it, or we call it a digital communication platform solve because that's really what it is. We're, okay. we're moving information from and between and among healthcare stakeholders. And those are you know, people that make the drugs, people that prescribe the drugs, and people that take the drugs, right? Mm-hmm. Manufacturers, mm-hmm. providers, and patients. Yes. So that platform is back there. And it, as long as you're connected to a node on the network of the platform, you don't have to really opt in if you're a doctor. So it depends on what EHR system you're on. And we have a network of about 15 EHRs that are connected to our system. But if you're a doctor that uses that EHR, you're going to automatically get this information because you use that EHR. Oh. Does that make sense? So it's already built into the EHR. You don't need to opt in. Right. The doctor doesn't have to do anything to opt in. And we make it as easy as we can. We make it clickless where we can. We make it, we are definitely experts at putting it in the workflow so the doctor doesn't have to think about it. It's a push rather than a pull. So we push the information out to them at that right time. That's on the provider side. Now on the patient side, you bring up an excellent point because patients with appropriate privacy and security protections from high trust to HIPAA to the the new European one, is it GD? PR or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, GDPR. But um, we do have careful processes for patients to opt in to those adherence and medication support programs because, of course, respect their privacy. So patients need to opt in. The way they learn about those programs for patient support is through their doctor. There's typically, you know, the doctor will say, hey, you know, here's a support service that will help you just manage your medications and stay on track. If you're interested, you can opt in. So that's how that goes. Got it. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Phenomenal work. Never even knew about this. And I'm glad that you're sharing it. Listeners, if you didn't know either, this is an opportunity for you to just pause for a second and share with a friend. Whether it be texting your friend or sending a tweet or a LinkedIn message or a mass email to friends that could benefit from this knowledge because it it does nobody any good to keep it siloed. It's definitely, it doesn't keep anybody healthy. So by the way, I wanted to give you guys uh, the website for Miriam's company here. It's optimizerx.com and simple, just optimizerx.com and you'll find more information there. But these tidbits of information that you're hearing are the tidbits that can unlock value for you here in the future. So uh, Miriam, thanks for sharing that. This is really good stuff. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to to talk about it. We think it's incredibly important and, and it is something that I get to do in my day job where I know I am helping people at a real person by person level. And that's so rewarding to be able to do that because a lot of times we get a little removed from the people that are experiencing health issues. And it feels nice to be able to do something that helps. That's brilliant. And so uh, give us an example of, of how you guys have created results by doing things differently. Sure. I want to talk for a little bit about the um, patient side for a second. So okay. 
We, about two weeks ago, maybe three now, announced the acquisition of CareSpeak Communications. And you can- Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We are uh, publicly traded on NASDAQ. So our uh, OPRX is our symbol. And so all this information is out there on our website and, and re- it's easy to find press releases about this. But the reason we acquired CareSpeak is because of their unique program for patient support. And it there's no app required. Remember back in the day, there was that saying, like, there's an app for that. Like, yes. there, there's just an app for everything, right? And <laughs> yeah. I don't know about you, but do you feel sort of like the last thing I want to do is download another app on my phone? So many apps. Yeah, well, that's how I feel. And so one of the things that CareSpeak did brilliantly is they said, listen, we're going to empower patients around patient support and medication adherence. But we're not going to do an app. We're going to use what every human uses that has a cell phone, and that's called text, right? We all live by text. We all have our mobile phones with us all the time, smartphones. And it's really super easy to opt in, as we talked about before, and we're opt out of some sort of a text enablement. Like I have text alerts from my pharmacy. Do you, do you get those, Saul? I don't. Well, you, but you could. So I find it helpful because, like I said, I have to take a few things and I have them on auto refill and it'll just text me and go, hey, you're, you know, your scripts are ready. Come get them. That's so, nice. Oh, yeah, great. So that's a helpful thing that the pharmacies do, which is where we make our choice to go pick up medication, right? So I really thought it was brilliant to come up with, you know, a ubiquitous way to communicate with patients in a non-intrusive way without them having to deal with an app and passwords and all that other junk that goes along with another piece of technology. So we purchased that company. And one of the things that they've done to show these results is a vaccine program for a certain population. And there's some case studies out on their sites. I'd be happy to follow up the program with some links to that. You can get to that from the Optimize site or the CareSpeak uh, Communications website or send me a tweet or LinkedIn or something, and I can send it. And they, there's some case studies out there with nice data about with a you know testing control group of patients that were part of this uh, vaccine program and how many more people got their vaccines on time through this support program versus those that did not get this support program. That's an example. And so those outcomes, you know, you know what those outcomes are going to be. There's another example about colonoscopy where, you know, and a lot of people have that test done and there's this prep process that's not, you know, it's just not, not it's not pleasant if you've ever had it or it's. I've heard friends that have done it and it's just like, they got to drink a gallon. Just awful. (laughs) I've had it. I've done it. It's awful. So bio and life sciences industry has been working on ways to make that better. And what happens a lot is if you don't follow the prep or finish the prep because it is so freaking miserable, <laughs> then you eat a cheeseburger anyway and you go <laughs> and they can't do the test, yeah. right? So that creates all this loop of, you know, canceled appointments and you got to reschedule. There's wasted time. It's um, a domino effect. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yep. yeah. So there's another example of uh, we're just educating the patient on, hey, you're scheduled for this appointment. Here's the prep. I'm going to walk you through this step by step with the, you know, via these text-based reminders. 
And, you know, this is, we're going to get through this together, kind of an approach. So they're over long-term programs, things that can last six months to a year for various medication regimens. Those things become even more important. Encouragement, guidance, positivity, those types of texts, as well as these short programs where it's just, hey, get your vaccine for a one-time event, or here's how you prepare for a procedure, and it's going to take a couple days, but you can do it. So, you know, those are sort of three different types of scenarios. And uh, fortunately, we have the, the data to show what a difference it's made in outcomes for these different types of patients. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I've had several guests as well, Miriam, just kind of allude to the fact that we got to keep it simple. I mean, we are, are, are inundated by emails and, and apps to download that, you know what, text is, is key especially when it comes down to personal things like medications. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, brief is, is very, very good and, and make things bite-sized consumable. And if when you're forced to communicate concisely, then that communication is going to be more and more effective, right? Yes. I don't know about you, but, you know, when you go to the pharmacy and you get the pills in the white bag, there's always a big thing of paper folded up and stapled to the outside of it. Yes. All of that information is immediately torn off and thrown away. Yeah. No one could possibly read it, even if you wanted to read it. The font's too small. It's, you know, you need a PhD <laughs> in something to understand the words. It doesn't really work. Yeah. So that information, though, it's so important for the patient. That's your side effect information. That's your, do you need to take this with food information? That's your interaction information. That's your black box warning kind of information. So that patient education, one of the things we do is imagine kind of stretching that out and chunking it up in bite-sized text chunks that says, hey, if you're feeling this side effect, tell us, right? Or these types of side effects. And so we pace all that out in these programs to where it doesn't overwhelm. Yeah. And people don't become just fatigued with all the texts and then they just ignore them. So that's our goal. Love it. I think it's very insightful. And yeah, rather than throwing the phone book at us, give it to us little by little. Drip it out through a text and, and then it becomes a resource that you look forward to hearing from. We have heard that. We've heard directly from patients, especially those, again, that are taking a drug therapy that may last a year. And the majority of people who don't suffer from chronic illness, you know, you get sick, you have strep throat, you take seven days of antibiotics, you never take it again, right? Mm -hmm. But there's some people that a course of therapy is six months or a year, but it isn't forever, okay? Right. But you kind of got to get through that, yeah. right? And if you fall off, then you're not going to have a good outcome to the, the whole point of your podcast outcomes, you know, okay. right? So encouraging through that process of, you know, for example, knowing from the prescription information that the manufacturers prescribe, that if you were going to have a side effect of dizziness, that probably would happen within the first couple of days. Or, you know, if you were going to have a sort of a fatigue of taking the drug, it happens about 90 days in. And so, you know, you, you want to hit them with that, hey, you can do it. We're, you know, 25% way, you know, through this program. So that's why I say it's kind of like that Fitbit encouragement thing. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't get weary. You can do it. So 
part of it's encouragement, part of it is information and education. Love it. I think it's so great. And uh, it's a great acquisition. Uh, I see the vision behind it. So big kudos to you guys for putting it all together and partnering with this new company that you guys just acquired to fulfill the vision. Thank you. We feel really lucky to have found CareSpeak and to be able to put the two together. So it gives us both sides of that direct-to-provider digital platform for communication and direct-to-patient digital platform for communication in ways we, we believe and hope work for both those constituents. Everybody's busy. Give me something that I can work with. So we, we're very excited to be in the space that we're in. For sure. It's very exciting. Now, tell us about a time when you had a setback or just <laughs> something didn't work out that now you learned a lesson and now you're so much better for it. Well, I think one of the things, I, I, when I read that question, I thought, oh man, I, I don't want to say anything that I made a mistake on because, you know, then I look like I'm not as smart as I think I want to be. But <laughs> we all make mistakes every day and there's really not, no such thing as a, as a failure, especially in a tech business, but really in any business. So that fail faster. So one of the things that I think has been a challenge for us, but I wouldn't call it a mistake. It is a, it is a challenge is yeah. an expectation that the industry will, <laughs> will move faster than it moves. And I can hear you laugh and I already started laughing. We have these monoliths of technology that are in place, whereas when I started, we really didn't have computer technology in healthcare to speak of, not really. We yeah. didn't have personal computers <laughs> back in the day, right? We right. didn't have personal computers. We certainly didn't have the internet. We didn't have any data standards or interoperability aspirations, none of that stuff. So now in our place in the industry where we are brokering data or moving data between stakeholders, so between manufacturers and, pharma and you know, providers, providers and pharmacies, providers and patients, manufacturers and patients, everybody, all of those parties have their own privacy and security concerns, their competitive concerns, and their interoperability hurdles, shall, 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 you know, shall I say. So it just takes a lot more time than you would hope to work through legal and regulatory. And they're appropriate. It just takes a lot of time. Right. And then on the other side of it is the technical handoffs, which really should not take as much time as they take, but, but still do. So what we have learned from that is how we can be as plug and play as possible. Because really we're an API company. Yeah. And so we plug stuff together and then we move information along that platform. As if we can be as tech forward and efficient in our communication and tech as possible, that makes us better. So the only failure is us making assumptions that are not very valid. So never make assumptions anyway, but um, try to find ways that what we can do to move, help the industry move faster in a plug and play world. That's our goal. Love that. No, it's a great example. And I uh, love your, your um, explanation of assumptions. You know, I always tell my teams, hey, what are the first three letters of assumption? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if you make it, you will be one. And exactly. it's always good to pressure test them. So uh, love that. Uh, Miriam, tell us about an exciting project that you're working on today. Well, I would love to talk a little bit about the women's leadership side. Is that okay? Absolutely. A little bit of a segue. We, we love to promote women leaders in healthcare. It's absolutely something that we want to hear. And we did promise the listeners at the beginning that we would. And okay. so 
Good, good. Let's so fulfill I'll, on that promise. Okay, so I'll give the most recent example, and this is just one, but I've had so many wonderful experiences, and I'm going to give a couple shout-outs, okay? One is Women Business Leaders in Healthcare, WBL, uh-huh. started by Lynn Shapiro-Snyder about 17 years ago, and it's an executive networking forum for uh, women leaders with one mission, which is to get more women on corporate boards, because that's really where it starts. We have to to be in real leadership and kind of in the in the room where the money is and the decisions are made in order to help kind of filter down those key decisions about hiring and leadership that fall below that level. So it's been wonderful to be part of that group. It's also been wonderful to be part of the Women in Health IT initiative from HEMS. You know, HEMS is a huge, powerful force in our industry. Yes. I was fortunate to be part of the kickoff of HEMS Women in Health IT initiative about three years ago at the annual conference and have worked with that roundtable and kind of getting that off the ground under Carla Smith's leadership. So that's another just powerful resource for the industry. And the HEMS side of it is where I have this fabulous, exciting story. So um, in August in Nashville, Tennessee, there's a conference called Health Further. Um, oh, it, yeah. Yeah. And it's not as... Yeah, okay. Yeah, it doesn't have a particular niche. It's kind of broad across the industry, but it's sort of an innovation-focused conference. And so the HEMS group and the Tennessee chapter of HEMS, along with the Tennessee chapter of HFMA, which is Healthcare Financial Managers Association, more the revenue cycle side of folks, wanted to put on a panel about women's leadership and asked me if I would moderate, and I was thrilled to do it. So we got together this panel of uh, four women with each different role. We had a woman who was an attorney. We had a woman who was literally this like scientist genius who, you know, discovers drugs and, and then creates them. Woman from hospital and then a woman from, you know, the tech community and I was moderating. So just very powerful, different disciplines all within the healthcare industry. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. However, that panel had never been done before. That type of an event had never been slotted into the Health Further Conference before. So it was um, not very well publicized. It wasn't very well communicated on the website necessarily. Nobody's fault. It just was kind of the way it all, you know how it is when you add a new thing, it doesn't quite slot in with maybe some of the other stuff. I was saying to the team that put it together, I said, hey, y'all, now don't be disappointed if we don't have a good turnout because it's first time and you know, it's kind of hard to find this information, find this yeah. one, et cetera. It's level and expectations. Yeah, right? yeah. I just didn't, and so, but I'm, I'm telling you, we had standing room only. Wow. We were together for nearly two hours, which <laughs> I thought this was toward, at the end of the day. Not only did they find us, but they found us and drug chairs in and drug each other in. And it was absolutely one of the most energizing things that I've been part of this year and certainly in many years. And what is so fulfilling about it and so energizing is people find the conversation that they want mm-hmm. and that they need. I think maybe it's a little bit like that with your podcast. Yeah, I could definitely yeah. relate to that for sure. Yeah. So somehow people find you if you've tapped into something and there's such a desire. Of course, it's, you know, this is the year of the woman and, you know, as they say, with, with, with respect to politics and we just had our midterms, we had a lot of women take seats and things, which is, which is wonderful. We're in the grip of sort of the Me Too movement and all that that means on, and, you know, the pluses and the minuses there. 
we're still dealing with wage inequity for women in any number of industries. And there's great research published by HIMSS about this. And it's astonishing to me to learn that that roughly 20% disparity, women 20% less than men in the same role, that margin, Saul, has not changed over the past decade. And you know, that to assume, I do assume all the time and I do make an ass of myself, right? An ass of you and me, right? (laughs) You can believe or whatever. We all do, we all do. No, it's all good, it's all good. Because in my head, that margin had to be decreasing, just had to be, but it wasn't, right? So then when you look at these things, so, but all of this is about being positive because this is just something that I can identify with because I happen to be a woman mm-hmm. and I love our industry. And I know that, that gender can and, and should only be a positive thing. So, you know, how do we just even that out a little bit? I think it's a great call out. And, you know, it's an opportunity for us to be thinking about this as healthcare leaders and what can we do to help level that gender inequity. I think it's a great call to action that we all need to take away from this podcast. So Miriam, I, I think it's great that you that you brought it up because if we don't if we don't talk about it, nothing's gonna happen. It's you know, ten years from now it's gonna be the same thing. Right. And I appreciate you letting me comment on it because it is one of those things that, you know, sometimes people really just don't want to talk about it or they'll say, well, that's that, you know, it's kind of a disparaging, oh, well, that's that, you know, whatever (laughs) affinity conversation. But it really isn't that. It's really about, you know, women make, what is it, 85% of all the healthcare decisions. Women comprise essentially 80% of the healthcare workforce yet have very, very few of the C-suite roles in healthcare, broadly speaking, and, you know, certainly have 20% or less than 20% of all the seats on public boards. So, I mean, it just, it is what it is, right? So bringing those two things together can only bring, you know, more power and more creativity to our our industry that that we love. I'm really curious about your your last question about medical leadership course. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yes. <a good> one. <laughs> so thanks for that transition. And before we do transition to that, again, I just want to point everybody toward uh, the site that Miriam mentioned. It's www.wbl.org, mm-hmm. Women Leading in Healthcare. The stats don't lie, and, and, and the opportunity is big. So for you ladies that, that decide to step up, guess what? The opportunity is there and the tide is, I think, is shifting. And, you know, I, I think too. more and more people are talking about it and, and they think this is the time. So step up if you feel like you want to be part of it because the tide is rising. Let me, Saul, let me mention one more uh, website as well for resource, uh, hymns.org, H-I-M-S-S dot O-R-G. And there's hashtag women in HIT. There's a bunch of different ways to get there. But if you look at hymns.org, you can definitely get, get to those resources. And there's sort of a whole library of things out there on both those websites. Love that. Thank you, Miriam. And before we conclude, we'll also have Miriam share the best place to connect with her. So 
stay tuned. We're almost there for you to connect with her on, on, on this very important topic of women leaders in healthcare. So we're going to build a leadership course now, Miriam, on what <laughs> it takes to be successful in the business of healthcare. It is the 101 of Miriam. And so we've got five questions, lightning round style, followed by your favorite book. You ready? I'm ready. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Communication between the stakeholders. And in our, what we've talked about is the people who make drugs, the people who prescribe drugs, and the people who take the drugs. Communicate, right time, right information. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? To assume that uh, good outcomes can just happen within uh, staying within our silos and to just assume anything as we've been talking about. But definitely that, that silos work because they don't. And so we need to break down the silos through these various communication channels. And it has to be digital, it has to be relevant. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Well, you know, tech is where it, it is. And so you're going to be relevant in tech if you stay, tech, if you lean into tech and stay savvy and accept things like trends that we've talked about, like nobody wants another app. Everybody does want things to be mobile. Doctors want it to be mobile. They want all time, you know, sorry, anytime, anywhere access to information off of any device. So we are leaning into tech heavily, and then we lean into trends heavily to understand from a data perspective what it is that people need. And it really is as simple as no matter what changes happen in our industry policy-wise or otherwise, or what technology changes People need information in order to get healthy. And doctors need help to make information, good informed decisions about medications because there's too many medications, they change all the time. No doctor can know everything. So it really is comes down to communication. What's one area of focus that drives everything in your organization? Patients. Patients' health and breaking down the barriers to access with a specific focus on affordability and then empowering those patients towards adherence. And the secondary audience, even though they're primary to us, but the providers, that's what they want. Everyone is aligned around healthy outcomes. It's just that, again, these communication barriers make, you know, we make it harder than it perhaps should be as an industry. So continuing to break that down for the patient's benefit, that's what drives us all. What is your number one success habit? Ooh, my number one success habit, perseverance. Just keep working. Just keep working. <laughs> you know, just keep working. Keep working through it. You're going to get it done. You can't let the fatigue and inertia of solving a big problem make you give up. Yeah, you just got to keep going. It's because it is changing. You're right. Things are changing and it's getting better. Love that. Miriam, what book would you recommend to the listeners? I think it's Moneyball Medicine or Medicine Moneyball that I just recently read is a really good one. I don't have that book in front of me, but that's a great one. And, um, you know, one of my favorite blogs, it's not a book, but it's a blog. We mentioned Jane Saracen Khan's blog oh, yeah. earlier. It's just so good. I've known her for a long, long time. <laughs> and um, she had no idea I was saying that. So it's not that I'm just trying to help her. But the thing that she wrote, blogged about today and put on LinkedIn saw was what patients want to talk to their doctor about that isn't healthcare. You know, they want to talk to them about, I'm upset about this. It's hard to manage. This is yeah. expensive. How do I do this? 
I have a problem with transportation. You know, they want to talk to them about stuff that's not, doesn't fit in a seven minute diagnostic box. Yes. But they don't have that conversation. And we know that doctors will have the conversation if they have the information. So if they know what a drug costs and they know that there are coupons, they want to talk to the patients about that. So we feel like we can help that conversation, but I would absolutely recommend her blog. I read it all the time. It's a great blog. And folks, we also did an interview with uh, Jane. If you go to to the website, you'll be able to find uh, Jane Healthcare Populi. If you just type in Healthcare Populi, you'll find it there. And that's the name of her blog too, Healthcare Populi. So check her out and check out the book um, that Miriam just uh, recommended, Moneyball Medicine, yeah. Thriving in the New Data-Driven Healthcare Market. We'll provide links to all of these on the site. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash optimizerx. You'll find that there. Miriam, leave us with a closing thought and uh, best place for the listeners to get in touch with you. So you can um, find me on LinkedIn, Miriam Paramore. You can certainly find me on uh, Twitter, same, Miriam Paramore, nothing uh, mysterious there. I would just say that I love being part of this podcast. My closing thought would be these sorts of conversations and then translate that into something practical and actionable. Because when you think about it, Saul, what we do isn't rocket science. You've got Outcomes Rocket, which I love that name. Distributing information is not rocket science, right? Agreed. But it's a simple thing to do. It's complicated to have to do it in this industry for the reasons we talked about before. But it's a simple thing to do, but it's profound. $5 billion available every year, and that amount is growing, 90% unused. Let's just unlock that and help people have access to and afford their medications and then support them in a way that's not intrusive to their lives, in a way that helps them as they adhere, and then they'll get better. So I appreciate you having this forum for me to be able to talk a little bit more in depth than you can do in you know 140 characters or something. <laughs> for sure, Miriam. And uh, appreciate you sharing your, your words of wisdom. It's definitely been a, a very insightful episode that I'm sure all of the listeners are enjoying. And and by the way, listeners, you could always hit rewind, listen to it again, because Miriam definitely left us with a lot to think about. So again, Miriam, just want to thank you for joining us and uh, looking forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you so much, Saul. It's been a, a real pleasure. really appreciate what you're doing with this show. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.